Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Let's look to the Lord. Uh, Father, our, our Lord and our God, we just thank you that uh, we have this day. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity just to stand before these people. Lord, I just ask that uh, you would remove me and that you would let your cross shine, shine brightly. Lord, we're just looking for people who are humble to your word, starting with the preacher and now to the pews. Lord, we just ask that you would bless us. Bless me as I uh, give this word. Bless the people as they hear it and let us walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We just thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today we have this tremendous opportunity to continue in the book of Colossians. If you were here a few weeks ago when I got to preach, I preached Colossians chapter 2, and now I'm preaching Colossians chapter 1. And this text is extremely important to the canon of Scripture because it deals directly with the heresy that was infecting the church. Uh, the, the Gnostics are in this, this particular epistle, the pre-Gnostics um, were entering in and they were infecting the people. Um, and what do we find Paul doing in this section of scripture? What do we find Paul doing in this particular passage? It's a, a simple glimpse into the amazing life of the apostle Paul. Paul is praying for this church. The apostle, with all of the trials and tribulations that um, he went through, still found time while he was in Rome, jailed and bound for the spreading of the gospel to minister to the people of God. The focus of Paul's prayers, what I have been praying and what, what my prayer has been for us this morning, and it's been that way even more than I can ever remember. We are peeking in here on an apostolic prayer this, this morning, we are looking into Paul's heart for these people, and we have a chance to pull some principles out of the text that I think we can use. Please take a moment with me and think on the thought of apostolic intercession. Apostolic intercession. I would like to start this text this morning just a little bit in front of the text that we actually read to set the context here. Paul, uh, starting in Colossians 1, chapter, uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 5, and reading down through the text, if you see where it says, um, the word of truth, the gospel. Now, that's a sermon in and of itself, but that's not where I'm going. We'll start in chapter 5. The Bible says, the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in, your, in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who was a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and here's what I need you to focus on, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. Paul goes on then to say, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, 
and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The first thing I want you to think about this morning is the substance of Paul's prayer. We're talking about what is the, 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 the orb that Paul is praying about. Paul here is praying for the Colossians. But not only Paul, not just is Paul praying, but Paul and all his companions that were with him in Rome. That's why the text says, we have not, uh, we, he- we have heard of it. And they're not praying, you know, those simple kind of dinner prayers that we play, you know. Oh, Lord, good food, good meat, good Lord, let's eat. They're not praying prayers like that. Paul is praying prayers that are theologically deep, that are theologically rich for the people of God. When the passage starts off by saying, for this reason also, Paul is referring back to the good report that he had received from Epaphras. Well, what was it that Epaphras had said? Think back to verses 7 through 8. The Bible says, just as you learned, of, learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who was a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, he also informed us of your, a plural, that's meaning the whole church, love in the spirit. It's their love in the spirit as reported by Epaphras. That's the kind of of love that Paul is talking here. It's a common theme in Paul's letters to all of the churches. As as he had said in verses 3 through 5, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying for you always, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. And see, when we look at the book of Ephesians, which is a parallel to this this particular book, we can see something that's similar. Paul says, for this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints. Uh, Chapter one, verse 15. Paul had said in 1 Corinthians that believers are united together in one body that is held together by the bounds of love. Now that passage is specifically talking about spiritual gifts, but he's saying you have to minister these spiritual gifts in love. Nearly all of the New Testament epistles, nearly all of Paul's letters, nearly all of the Gospels, nearly the, the, the entire Bible is talking about this same repeated refrain, this love that we have to have, but it's in the Spirit. They repeat this interpersonal love for the saints of God, and they call our attention back to it relentlessly. John records Jesus as saying this, Greater love has no man than this, that one would lay down his life for his brother. Peter says, Above all, keep fervent in your love one for another, because love covers a multitude of sins. We are a body that exhibits love to one another and to the unsaved world that's out there through our actions. Let me put it this way. Love costs something. Love is an action word. Can we say that we are loving each other here this afternoon? I I, I believe that we can. But if you have this kind of love, you will be in a constant unceasing prayer for your brothers and your sisters, asking God to bless them. See, look at what the text says as we get into our text. It says, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In Paul's regular prayer times, he was often on his knees for these Colossians. 
It does not mean that Paul or any of his companions were just constantly praying, praying, praying for the Lord. But it means that when it came to their mind, they would break into psalms and prayer for these people. Paul is asking that God, that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in wisdom and understanding. Church, I tell you, we need that. We need that desperately. When Paul says this, he has, he has asked for one of the most elusive things in the history of the church. He's asked for one of the most elusive things on this planet. See, some of our brothers and some of our sisters here, they think that uh, finding God's will is mysterious and that they can only find it if they look for it under a chair or behind a closet door or under a rock. Some think that God's will is kind of lost and that God is playing hide-and-go-seek with believers. You know, kind of like, peekaboo, I see you. No, that's not God's will. Others think the will of God is like an experience, like you're kind of drinking a cup of coffee and you get to the bottom of the cup and the bottom of the cup says China and you're like, yes, Lord, I'm going to China. Well, that's not what the will of God is. If you want to know what the will of God, of God is like, I'll tell you this. Simply pick up your Bible and read it. That's the will of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove the will of God, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You want to know the will of God? Just start here. Start with the Bible, and you will know what is good and acceptable and perfect. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing or willing in the actual Greek text for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now let's try this one on for size. Let's see if you can do this one. 1 Thessalonians 4.3. Does anybody know that text? For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. Well, what is my sanctification? That you abstain from sexual immorality. That's the will of God. And you can look at 1 Peter 2, 13-15, or 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 19, and on and on and on it goes. The will of God is found in the text. All you got to do, get out your concordance, open up your Bible program, the will of God, and up come a list of wills. You don't need to look for the will of God under something, behind something. The will of God is shown to you in the Bible. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother. She is my sister. She is my mother. And in John, he says, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who beholds the son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up in the last day. The will of God is not a hidden trinket, y'all, that believers have to uncover. The will of God is plain and simple, written in your Bible. Follow your Bible. Believe your Bible. Trust your Bible. I tell you, Christians, follow the will of God. Follow the scriptures. So what Paul is saying is that he wants the Colossians to be 
filled with that kind of knowledge. When Paul says filled, he is using a word that conveys filling up to the highest measure or filling it up to completeness. He's saying all the way to the top, God. Do any of y'all remember that old commercial? It was for a, a coffee. They say, fill my cup to the rim with brim. Anybody remember that? That's what he's saying. He's saying, Lord, fill us up to the rim with a knowledge of your will. Take us to the bursting point with a knowledge or a full understanding of what God's will is. Well, how do you want them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, Paul? That's, that's the question that I have to ask. The text is going to tell us as we move along. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I think the text lends itself to saying here, in all wisdom and understanding that is on the spiritual level. See, the false teachers that had come into the church and into the city in general could not offer anybody, anything, any true wisdom that could, that could enhance who they were, that could move a man's soul, that could move a man's spirit. In chapter 2, verse 23, Paul says, These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and a severe treatment of the body but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. See, no, the Colossians and we as believers today need to receive um, that spiritual or that which is revealed from the Spirit of God. All of this wisdom is, all that this wisdom is, is practical knowledge which comes from God. And all that understanding is, is a, is a clear analysis of and a proper, deci proper decision-making to the issues that we're confronting this church. Paul wants the Colossians to think deeply and then to receive it. And notice the word all in the text. He wants them to receive all spiritual wisdom and knowledge. Do you know what the Bible says about wisdom and knowledge? The Bible says that they are a prerequisite for having a reverential relationship with the Lord God Almighty. It is only through our knowledge of God and our understanding of his word that we can obtain any wisdom, any understanding at all. Proverbs 1 says, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools, and who does the Proverbs describe as a fool but one who says there is no God? Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And Proverbs 9 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Knowledge and wisdom are often connected. They're grafted together in the scriptures. Look at Exodus uh, 31, verse 2 through 4. It says, See, I have, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. See, first you got to get the Spirit of God in understanding, in knowledge, in all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs. You can look at Deuteronomy 4, chapter 4, verse 6, and Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, to see parallels in the language here. But brothers and sisters, are we praying for one another like this? See, Paul is praying for the Colossians. Are we praying for one another? Are we on our knees asking God to bless someone in this congregation with wisdom and knowledge and with understanding that's on a spiritual level? 
when we, you know, when, when Christians normally pray, what do we pray for? And there's nothing wrong with this. I, I understand. Christians, we normally pray for, you know, God bless my health, God bless my wealth, God bless the bunion on my big toe, God bless my children, you know, God, we thank you for that. But no, that's, that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying this, the direction of our prayers leads to a knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You need to pray this for new believers. You need to pray this way for family members. Pray this way for our pastor as he's in Maryland. Pray this way for Alan as he's here guiding this, this flock. Pray this way for our deacons. Pray this way for me. And I'll pray this way for you. Are we storming the heavens, asking God to give us personally this blessing? Believe your Bible. A humble trust in God's word by reading it and meditating on it will saturate your mind with a knowledge of wisdom that will lead to godly living and godly character. And that's what Paul's going to tell us next. The second thing I want you to think about is the effects of praying this way that Paul has just prayed. Verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul here focuses on the purpose of the believers in Colossae being filled with the wisdom and understanding that comes from God. He wants them to simply walk. Most of the time when you see that word in the New Testament, it is pertaining to the manner or behavior of someone's life or to the, or to the people that are being spoken to. The grammatical issues here have, we have one Greek word at the beginning of this sentence that's being translated as this entire phrase here, and it's an infinitive of purpose, and the word is related back to praying and asking of verse 9. That is why this phrase is translated, so that you will walk. The question that I ask is, how, how, Paul? How did you want them to walk? He says, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In the Old Testament, this word walk was often used to portray how one lived and how one how one chose to live their life and is carried over here into the New Testament and into the letters of Paul. The Bible says in Ephesians, for this reason it says, awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making, most of the, making the most of your time because the days are evil. If someone's life is saturated with, a, with the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding at all points about his or her God, then they will live a life that's worthy of the Lord. Paul here is referring to setting our life on course with Jesus Christ as the Lord, and it is only in him that you can structure your life in a way that is pleasing to God. How does a heathen, how does a pagan, how does someone who doesn't know God, how do they please God? How can they find pleasure in doing God's will? Unbelievers don't do this. 
The false teachers and, and those that followed them in Colossae did not live a life consistent with Christ. He tells the Colossians, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. And later in the epistle, he'll say to them, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also walked when you were living in them. But see, that language, that language there of walking carries on outside of the Colossians letter. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul says this, Walk worthy of the God who called you into his kingdom, his own kingdom and glory. Paul tells the Ephesians, walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you also have been called. In similar fashion, he tells the Philippians to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. So this language is all over the New Testament. We have to walk, we have to walk, we have to walk. How we walk is an indicator. Listen, how we walk is an indicator of who we serve. Are we walking like the world? Are we watching TV like the world? Are we listening to the radio like the world? Are we texting like the world? Brothers and sisters, how's your walk? Can people tell who you serve? Do they know that you are a bondservant, a bondservant, a workman for Jesus Christ? Now, let me take a pause here, pause for laughter. I got to be transparent. I love, absolutely love and adore, and Lord forgive me, R&B music and rap music from like the late 80s, early 90s. Absolutely love it. It's all over my computer. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, if I was listening to this, and like somebody walked by, who would they think that I was walking after? More importantly, who do my children think I'm walking after? It's confused. That picture is muddied at best. I have to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Pray for me. So Paul urges the Colossians to walk worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he urges us, you and me, to do the same. And as they no doubt did, and we should follow in line, it will please him in all respects. That was the focus of Paul's life, and he desired more than anything to live this out, and he desires it for the Colossians. Should not the direction of our life should it not line up with Christ, who is true north? As our life has been changed and as we have been swung around to true north by the Spirit of God, should we not walk that way? No. We have to walk. We have to walk. Well, what does that look like? Paul is going to tell us. He's going to give us four principles that we should be concerned about. The first two... The first two areas that we should be concerned about, the Colossians are, are, are it's talked about in Colossians right here. 
They are bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. These two aspects were specific to living a life worthy of the Lord and a life pleasing to him. What, what does it mean for the Colossians to bear fruit? See, this is a responsibility of believers in that congregation as they were empowered by the Spirit of God. It's something that we also have to do by extension. Christ is that life of fruit bearing, and we can have access to him as we give up control and let the Spirit do its indwelling work. As Paul uh, will say in the, in the epistle to the Ephesians, uh, chapter 5, verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. It is that same list of activities that we, will, that we find when we get to Colossians chapter 3 where the Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and, make, and with thankfulness in your heart to God. See, what we can do here is we can make this a simile that being filled uh, with the Spirit is the same thing as letting the word of Christ dwell richly in you. And when you are saturated, when you are infused with the word of God, you begin to manifest a particular spiritual power. A believer will exhibit what is called the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 20, 23 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what a person bearing fruit will look like. Jesus said, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. You have to do this in every good work or whatever you do in the Lord's cause. Brothers and sisters, set your heart, steal your mind, gird up your loins like a man and get after it. Remember that later in the book, Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. But not only that, the second thing that Paul wants us to see is that the Colossians were to be increasing in the knowledge of God. See, the text here is a little nonspecific, and, the meaning, and, and that means that this phrase can mean growing with respect to knowledge or growing by the means of knowledge. I think that both fit here, and I, I can see both sides of the argument, but I think that the NIV translate the passage best here as it says, growing in the knowledge of God. That one is related to the, the second one, that we are growing by means of knowledge. That speaks to the fact that this is an ongoing process. This is something that never ends. You wake up today, and it's an ongoing process growing in the knowledge of God. You wake up tomorrow, and it's an ongoing process growing in the knowledge of God. Next year, it's an ongoing process growing in the knowledge of God. One man said this, it's like, it's like a fruit tree that bears its fruit the fruit drops off, 
and the next season it bears its fruit again. It's not like a corn stalk that grows, bears its fruit, and then it dies. We are not corn. We don't die. We are fruit trees that bears fruit over and over and over and over again. I was talking to a kid. I was talking to a kid on the UNT campus two weeks ago. And this young man was a self-described atheistic, agnostic, homosexual advocate. Now that's a person you really want to talk to, right? He was mocking the preachers, whoever was up there, just throwing, and he wasn't doing it loud, he was kind of doing like just loud enough so like the people around him could hear and chuckle. And I happened to hear him, so I went up, after, up to him, I gave him a card, and we started talking. And whatever I said, it didn't matter what I told him, he just rejected it, flat out. You know, there's, there's evident proof for, you know, the existence of God. There's a teleological argument, an ontological argument. Oh, there's no argument. You can't prove that a supernatural being exists in the natural world. I need scientific proof, man. I got news for you, buddy. God is not science. Any proof that I offered this man, he just wasn't hearing it. That's a man who has no knowledge of God. Now understand, the Bible says all men know that God exists, and you need to understand that. Everybody you talk to, whether the king or a pagan on the street, they know God exists. But what they do, they suppress it in their unrighteousness and will declare that God doesn't exist. He had no knowledge of God. This young man had no knowledge of God. But the Bible says this, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To know God, you have to know Jesus. And to know Jesus means you have to search for him, look for him. You have to beg God to save you. And you have to do it with all your heart. A true knowledge of God is the only source of life for the Christian. No one can make it in life with a knowledge of Oprah. She's got her own network. You can't make it in life with a knowledge of Gears of War 3. You can't make it in life with a knowledge of the iPhone 30 or whatever the next thing coming out is. That's not going to get it. I love what A.W. Tozer said. A.W. Tozer said this, We are called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. I like that. One has to have an increasing knowledge of God. Let's look at the next two aspects in verses 11 and 12. These are the last two principles. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Here we're given the last two principles in the scriptures. We are to be being strengthened with all power. And we are to give thanks to God the Father. The Bible says here, being strengthened, as the NIV puts it, this is a, another participle in this uh, particular Greek construction. In other words, this is another point that Paul is making. Paul is saying, being strengthened with all power or 
strength, and it's a slight play on words here, according to his, and that's God's glorious might. And when, when Paul uses the word glorious might here, that's just another word for strength. So he's saying being strengthened with all strength. According to BDAG, which is the most authoritative Greek lexicon you can find, it means the ability to exhibit resident strength. Having glorious might or the might of his glory means manifest excellence. Brothers and sisters, this is the outworking of God's mighty glory that is intrinsic to him and his nature. If you look at Ephesians 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, it says this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what, the hope, what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. These are the same type of words that he used in our passage here. Well, what have I been strengthened for? What have you been strengthened for? What is Paul asking that the Colossians be strengthened for? For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience in this life. Steadfastness and patience are words that convey a way that a Christian is supposed to live. Nothing bothers him. Nothing bothers her. We are steadfast, immovable, abounding for the work of the Lord. And we are patient, able to bear up under any circumstance that comes to us. A Christian is content, and he has a peace that surpasses all understanding. The final thing that God wants us to see here is that we will joyously be giving thanks to the Father who qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Yes, we will be giving thanks to the Father. How does Jesus start off the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. James says, every good thing and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, or I like as the King James says, says it, who is there, in, who, in whom there is no shadow of turning. Are you thankful for what God the Father has done for you? Am I thankful for what God the Father has done for me? God has lifted us out of the muck and the mire. God has forgiven us of our sins. God has adopted us and brought us into his family. God has called us sons and daughters. We have, get this, eternal life. The Father should be given thanks for what he has allowed you and me, us, to do and be. But while we, we, we should be thankful and joyously thankful at that, the Father has also qualified us, that is, made us competent to share in this inheritance. To understand what this inheritance is, please look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished on us. 
No, these are, these are the treasures, these are the riches that have been poured out abundantly upon believers, both you and I. Note that in our verse here, it's God that does the qualifying. We and of ourselves were not fit to gain this inheritance. But only through God giving us our inheritance are we inclined to grab our inheritance, and we can only do that through the power of God. Look at what the Bible says. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 5. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. And when I say this, I'm saying that this is our inheritance because the word of God here, it calls the Colossians saints. And by extension, me and you are saints also. Now, we're not saints in the Roman Catholic sense of what they call a saint. It's kind of like when I got, first got um, licensed to preach the gospel, I went, one day I was Brother Bray, and then the next day I was Reverend Bray. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't want anybody on the planet to call me Reverend Bray because there's nothing reverential about me. I'm a sinner, I'm a, I'm a wretch, I'm a worm just like you. There's nothing, uh-uh, my pastor insisted, call him Reverend Bray made me uncomfortable. It's saying the same kind of thing. We, our inheritance, in, in, we're called saints. That's, that's all I can say. We're not those saints. That we're not anybody special. We have been declared righteous by God, and therefore we have no guilt and we have no stain. God sees us through the blood of Christ. The Bible says God dwells in light that no man can approach, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and it says, He was the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. This is done in the light. This light is the spiritual realm that believers, operate, that believers operate in when saved and brought into the kingdom. So as I, as I close my text, this is, this is all I want you to understand. We have seen this week that Paul here is praying for these Colossians, that they would walk worthy of the Lord. That is, that they would live a life in a worthy manner. And that as they do so, they would bear fruit and increase in the knowledge of God. And that they should be strengthened with all power and be giving thanks to the Father. Friends, if we can simply follow Paul's prayer here by walking worthy, then these four aspects will come into our lives. Pray this over someone you know. Pray this over a friend. Pray this over uh, an enemy. Like I said, pray this over me. 
and then look for these kind of benefits in your own life. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the few moments giving me an opportunity to share with these people what you have taught me, Lord, over these two weeks. Lord, just remove anything that was John Bray and just let your word speak forth. Lord, knowing how convicted I've been by this passage, I just ask that you would bless somebody in the congregation. Lord, we just thank you for all you've done. We thank you for sending your son on a cross. Lord, we didn't deserve it, but we still walk after you. And Lord, we will ask all these blessings in your son's name. And all God's people said, amen. The benediction that I chose for today is found in Revelations chapter 22. I testify to everyone who hears the word of life, the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testified to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.